1: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Unstoppable podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm here today with our guest, Regan Bozeman. He is the founder of Dove Mountain Partners and also an investor at Free Company. Um, And I'm very excited to talk to him all about investing in crypto projects. And he's going to really give us the insider scoop on how all all of that works. So welcome, Regan. Thank you so much for being here today.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me on.
1: Awesome. So before we dive into you know what you're working on right now, I'm curious to know about your background and how you got into crypto. So take us all the way back to when you first heard about it. Like, what was it about crypto that caught your interest, and then how did you start learning about it?
0: Yeah. So I think the first time I really like started sort of diving into the space, I, I moved out to San Francisco at the beginning of 2016 to work on the investing team at AngelList and worked on like a few crypto deals there. Honestly, was was not smart enough to really pay much attention, and so kind of thought this like Bitcoin thing was interesting, but didn't really do much about it. And then we spun CoinList out of AngelList in like the summer of 2017, and I jumped over as the first employee. For some context that people don't know, um, AngelList, at least a part of the business I worked on, was sort of this basically like capital marketplace for money going into early stage venture. And both for like regulatory and strategic reasons, like it made sense to do a business basically doing that in crypto kind of separately. And so for me, it was really uh, some of the smartest people i would worked with at Angelist were, were going to work on this. And so I wanted to work with them. And it seemed like there was a much more blue ocean opportunity to like innovate in capital markets and crypto rather than adventure, just because it was so much less defined. So I think for me, I knew actually like absolutely nothing about crypto when I when I made that jump. And when I started working in the space, which I feel like is sort of the reverse, like I feel like a lot of people kind of start reading about it and you know, sort of fall down this rabbit hole and, and then want to work in the space. But for me it was really wanting to work with the people starting starting Coinlist. And so yeah, that was about three and a half years ago. I was the first employee there, kind of like worked across a pretty wide swath of business. Um, I remember when I joined this was like the peak of the last bull market. So maybe like October, November 2017, was like doing all of our sales, which I'd also never done. And so Definitely like all sorts of crazy crypto projects wanting to run token sales then. And then for like most of the last two years, I was there sort of like ran the token sales business, worked closely with a lot of our customers and their launches, teams like Filecoin, Solana, Nier.
1: Awesome. And so way back then, how did you start learning about it? Because I think even today for people who are just getting into the space, it can feel a little bit overwhelming. Like, where do I even start with learning about what crypto is, what blockchain is, like all these different things. So what was the, you know, the best way for you to start learning about the space? Um, And would you recommend other people do it the same way? Or now that you've been in it for a while, is there a better way that you'd recommend newbies to start learning?
0: Yeah, so I definitely would not recommend people do what I do and, and start working in the space when you have no idea what you're talking about, because um, I'm sure I would like embarrassed myself many times on calls back then. Yeah, I think some of the most helpful resources like Andreessen and Horowitz had this, I think they called it the crypto canon, but it was kind of basically just like a pretty comprehensive list of sort of like where to start learning about crypto. And I, th- I think it was basically like the Ethereum and Bitcoin white paper. And then, you know, kind of like introductory summaries coming out of that. I found like Linda Shea, who's at Scalar Capital, has like this really good like introductory series about a bunch of different crypto assets. And then I actually found like the kind of cultural history, like pretty helpful. So Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper is is like an awesome history of kind of early Bitcoin. And then I'm going to forget the guy who wrote it, but the I think it's actually Ben Mesrick who wrote Bitcoin Billionaires, which is about the Winklevoss twins. And like that's like a little bit more of like a drama than just like a pure history. But it is like actually pretty interesting sort of look at like the early commer- uh, commercialization of, of Bitcoin. So I think for me, like those were two of the most helpful resources when I started working on it.
1: I have both of those on my bookshelf, but I, I have not read them. I have to admit. I, I
0: highly recommend both of them.
1: I definitely plan to get around to uh, to checking both of those out. So for somebody who's brand new to the space, how would you explain crypto to them in like a short, you know, what's like your one minute pitch of what what is crypto in a way that is interesting and gets them excited to learn more?
0: I think like the simplest analogy I've heard is kind of like, you know, if traditional money is like sort of just a, a database. Like crypto is kind of like a Google sheet where like anyone can, like basically it's like collaborative. I, I think it's like the Bitcoin rabbi use this analogy so I give credit to him but I think that's kind of like the easiest way to sort of like think about a a distributed ledger is is something like a google doc where there's you know a bunch of different like access points and and people are sort of referencing a single single point I think for me like the easiest way to describe bitcoin is kind of just like non it's like the first like non-sovereign money it's you know essentially like internet native money that's not tied to a state and for me that's sort of like one of the most important parts of it and I, I think Kind of once, what, like once you reference, like every currency you've ever touched is is issued by a state and backed by one. Understanding this, like frame of reference of like this being not is sort of how I, I describe Bitcoin.
1: I like it. And what do you see as some of the major challenges or roadblocks that are preventing widespread adoption of crypto today?
0: I think it's a few things. I, I think especially like in the last bull run when I was probably more cynical than I was today. I found there to be very few people like starting from the vantage point of building products of like, I want to solve real problems. It was generally things like Ethereum is slow and I can build something faster. So like, I'm going to do that rather than this group of people has this problem. I think this like technology can kind of help address like these points. And and so I'm going to build that. And I, I think even still today, there's a lot of, you know, Even like now I see pitches and it's like the 10th derivation of like a decentralized BitMEX versus, hey, like these are problems that that people have and I'm going to try to solve them. But I I think now there are a lot more sort of like widely used products that are, are actually trying to solve real problems. And, you know, happy to like go into more detail there later in the interview. I think the other big issue is just like usability. I would have thought that by now someone would have built a really seamless Ethereum wallet. And I think people are getting close. Arjun is pretty cool. Coinbase seems to be investing a lot in uh, Coinbase Wallet. But you know, as an example, like I have spent a lot of time working with the Index Co-op, whose like flagship product is DPI, which is the um, by far like the market leader in like DeFi indices, and, and actually how I think like most people who want to get exposure to DeFi should. And it's really only accessible on Uniswap and. You know, I was like trying to show a friend, it's probably like two months ago, how to buy it, and it, it just sucks. Like, it, it's really quite a terrible experience. It's hey, like, yes, yeah, send money to Coinbase, wait seven days for an ACH to clear, uh, convert most of that to USDC, buy like a little bit of ETH for transaction fees, then like move it over to this separate app, and then it just like it gets really quite a poor experience. So I, I think like really just things that like abstract away that complexity and are, are really sort of like simple access points for things like DeFi and NFT that people want to use. Like that's by far and away sort of the biggest barrier.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think right now everything is just like too hard to use for the ordinary person still. And I think projects that can simplify that process and make it more accessible to Everybody, I think, are going to be really successful in the future. So let's go ahead and dive on into what you're working on. So Dove Mountain Partners is your main thing. How did you get the idea for it? Why did you decide to start it? Like, Tell us a genesis story of how Dove Mountain Partners was formed.
0: Essentially, the genesis is like I wanted to work with a bunch of early stage teams on kind of what I've been doing, which was sort of like going to market strategy. And I wanted to like pay my rent. And I was kind of just throwing a bunch of ideas against the wall and, and trying to figure out how to do that. Um, you know, essentially, like I, I've been at CoinList for three and a half years. Honestly, the first two of those years, I was actually pretty cynical about crypto. But as I like got deeper into it and got more excited I really like wanted to work with earlier Sage teams. Uh, CoinList, if people aren't familiar, is kind of like the largest platform for companies to run token sales. Um, but it's really like a software company. Like we we never had any advisory services. And so, you know, I was fortunate in that role to work with a lot of awesome teams on their launches, but teams had to have a lot of things like, well, they had to have a lot of their ducks in a row by the time they got to CoinList. And so for me, a lot of the like interesting problems were, were sort of solved by that point. And so it basically like wanted to keep doing that, didn't just want to go work with one team, and so I kind of was like, all right, well, like let me see if there's something here So I probably talked to about thirty early stage teams, really just trying to like understand what their problems were on the business side, talked to a number of the like advisory firms out there trying to learn a bit more about their business model, and kind of came to the conclusion that like there was a pretty big demand for just general like growth and go to market strategy that that like just wasn't met in the market. And so that's kind of like how we like I came to Dove Mountain Partners. Basically we're like I call us a crypto native growth consultancy. We work with early stage teams on things like token launches and design, community engagement and growth, driving partnerships and integrations, creating narratives about like, you know, these fairly technical products. Yeah. And so basically just like work with it kind of act as like an outsourced growth resource for early stage teams.
1: And so do you have a whole team of people working with you or is it just uh, is it it's not just you, is it?
0: it it's It started out um, as just me. Now the team is four.
1: I don't know if you can talk about like some of the projects that are clients of yours or that you've helped work on that are really cool. But um, I'd love to hear, you know, like some examples of projects you've helped build up, like how you did it. Give us some exposure to the projects too, and what problems they're trying to solve.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, some of the projects um, we've worked with include Maple, which is building credit markets on Ethereum. Really excited about what they're doing. Like, you know, you, Alve and Compound are like fantastic products, but you know, this whole sort of like notion of over collateralized lending is not silly, but like it's obvious that there's something better, and so if you can kind of solve this like trust and credit issue that's like a step change improvement. And so Maple has like some really interesting mechanics, kind of basically getting just like aligning incentives around all the stakeholders in the network and really big fans of what they built. You know, started working with them when it was, I don't think they had any business hires. This was like late last year. And then, you know, they've grown tremendously. They launched on mainnet maybe three or four weeks ago and like really excited about what they're doing. Another team we're working with is Cream, which is um, basically a money market on Ethereum and BSC and Phantom. Kind of, I mean, very similar to Compound and Aave, but more focused on long tail assets. And, you know, they've sort of like launched a number of other product lines, like the Iron Bank, which is like sort of protocol to protocol lending feature that basically lets like other protocols be- borrow in an under collateralized fashion. And so, you know, generally, like with these teams, we're working on things like, community engagement. So, for example, like creating an incentive structure to get their communities, like doing useful work for the protocol. So with cream, we're like testing out this idea right now, we call it a creamery. We're basically, you know, the core team is super stretched. There's a lot that needs to get done. And we're basically just like putting bounties on like work that needs to happen and, and kind of working with the community to like get people to sort of like grab, you know, grab those tasks. You know other examples of, of what we've done is like a lot of writing basically you know these products are tend to be like fairly technical and, and hard to understand and so working with those teams to really just like break it down into you know what are you building how can we describe it in a way that people understand this and and going from there um the other like big thing is, is partnerships and integration i tend to find that like people talk about this but i think it's like generally pretty under indexed in the industry like all of this software is open source right the the there are some technical modes but like I, I don't think they're really that strong. And so I tend to find that for DeFi protocols, let's say for example, you're cream and your a money market, you know, plugging into like other front ends like something like InstaDap or Argent or Yield Aggregator, like 88 miles per hour, all of those things are really important, right? Because they drive liquidity and users to the protocol. But you know, what gets those partnerships done? It's it's kind of like sales, right? Like you have a conversation, you understand what each side wants, you like work through the technical details, you get it done. And so that's another area where we've been spending a lot of time with uh, with teams like Cream, is trying to drive that stuff forward.
1: Gotcha. So if a team wants to work with you, is there an application process they go through, or do you sort of just like keep your eye out on Twitter and see who's building cool stuff, and you reach out, you're like, hey, I can help you? Or how does that process work?
0: We've only been doing this for maybe six months, so it's, it's not super scientific. Almost all of the teams we've worked with have been inbound and it's really mostly like their investors that I know kind of just refer them to us. Two years ago, there was like less of a focus on growth and marketing. There were still a lot of these like very hard technical challenges that needed to be solved. But now that Ethereum scaling is sort of like coming to the forefront and I think a lot of these products are just much more usable than they were previously. And like apps like Uniswap show that you can have hundreds of thousands of monthly active users for a DeFi product. I think a lot of teams and and their investors are starting to recognize growing communities, getting token holders engaged and just generally driving like usage of a product is sort of like an under indexed area in crypto. And so teams are investing a lot more in it.
1: Gotcha. And so, what are like some criteria that you have either on paper or just in your head when you're presented with a new project and determining like whether you want to help them, whether you're able to help them? What's that thought process like?
0: We've only really worked with like warm referrals. So, like, we know someone who's either invested or we know someone on the team. I I think they're like, we just, people can be difficult to work with and and we're fortunate in that there's a lot of demand for what we do. And so, like, we want to make pretty sure that this is going to be like fun on both sides. Beyond that, like we try to have some quality barrier. And so I think they're like, it's not really rocket science. It's probably kind of how most investors look at a a protocol, but we want to structure these contracts where it's primarily like upside in the form of tokens that we're earning. And so, you know, if we don't think something's going to do well, if we wouldn't be excited about accumulating this, like it just doesn't really make sense. I think the other thing is like, is this differentiated? Like we can, we can help um on the marketing side, but like if something is a fork of like an options protocol and it's like a little bit more efficient on the liquidity side, for example, right? Like I, I don't think there's that much we can do there because like the product is just not that differentiated. So I think it's really like, do we think we can deliver value to this team?
1: Gotcha. And then in terms of which stage of development is best for you to jump in and help them, would you say it's Like in the very early stages, right after the idea is formed and before very much is executed on, or would you say it's a little bit later on when they've, you know, done some things on their own and then they just need to like scale up, uh, what stage of development would you say is the best fit for coming to Dove Mountain Partners?
0: Yeah, we've generally, we've worked with teams that like run the gamut from pre-product to like Cream, which has had a product live for nine months. I think where we've generally focused and I I think like I feel good about the work we've done is teams that are like three months, four months, five months ahead of a token launch. And so we can kind of work with them to drive a narrative, like drive momentum around that. And then after that, really focus on like driving integrations, making sure that like the token is useful and it's kind of like on all the protocols it should be. I think, yeah, basically like a few months before token launch is kind of where we can add the most value.
1: Gotcha. And then long term, wh- what's your long term vision for Dove? Like where do you see uh Dove Mountain partners being in, you know, maybe five years down the line?
0: Like our business model is very much a we're like a consultancy. Like we kind of look like an agency uh, as a business model. We're a bit different in that we try to take as little cash as possible and really optimize for upside in the form of tokens. And so there we kind of look like investors. But you know, like, yeah, we don't look that different than like an agency that's running Google ads. And I don't really have much interest in scaling that linearly. It's, it's just like not very scalable. For me, the vision is really, it seems like it's obvious that there's gonna be a massive economy around these protocols. And it also seems obvious that these protocols don't wanna build thousand person core teams right you look at uniswap and they're doing about the same spot volume as coinbase with like 30 employees and coinbase has i don't even know how many let's say it's like 1500 uniswap obviously doesn't want to hire 1500 people so it seems clear that these protocols are going to outsource a lot of things that companies have historically done in house and i think there's a very big opportunity to like service those protocols so that's really the vision and we kind of started with this like growth strategy as our wedge But to me, it's really these protocols need a lot of help. There's not a lot of organizations that are like well set up to sort of service them. And so I think everything from like treasury management to, um, you know, network growth to like community engagement, all all of that stuff, running grants programs, all of that stuff is really important. And these teams need help with it. The other thing I, I think is really interesting is like just DAOs as a way to sort of like scale human organization. And so... Right now, we're a Delaware LLC, and it seems somewhat ironic to like serve the protocol economy as a Delaware LLC. And so, you know, we're like, we're going to like turn this into a DAO at some point pretty soon.
1: One thing you mentioned is, you know, like companies like Uniswap don't necessarily want to hire out maybe a team of 1500 like Coinbase has. Do you think that'll be a trend moving forward with these crypto and Web3 companies and protocols is, you know, sort of keeping it lean and uh, maybe outsourcing in the form of, you know, somebody like Dove Mountain Partners or even by forming a DAO and outsourcing that way?
0: Yeah, so our our vision there is like, we really think we can build a DAO to just do useful work for protocols. And I realize that's like quite big, but there's pretty consistent needs across protocols. And we think we can build like, you know, an on-chain organization that can service those needs. For example, like every protocol needs help with translation, right? Like they have blog posts in English and they want to translate them to Mandarin every protocol needs help with like getting analytics dashboards set up on something like dune and so the the vision for like what we're building is really setting up an organization to service them and at the same time building an organization that helps people who want to break into the space like enter it because it's it's if you're coming from a traditional background like starting to work in one of these DAOs where like it's run on discord and people are like anonymous it's just bizarre like it's very different than you know, how work has historically been done? But uh, to, to go back to your question, like, yeah, 100%, these teams are not going to do this in house. There's a number of reasons, but a lot of it is honestly just like regulatory. Like, if you look at like every theme the SEC has ever put out about whether or not protocols or securities, it, it all comes down to like, are these things centralized? And so I, I am like fully convinced that. Both, like, because they don't want to, and they genuinely want to build decentralized protocols, and because the lawyers will force them to, uh, these protocols are are not going to build big teams and do a bunch in house. They're really going to try to outsource as much as possible.
1: All right, so I want to talk a little bit about Free Company as well. You're an investor there, so Free Company, I believe, is a is ABC, correct?
0: I would call it an operator syndicate, but. Yeah, I mean we we invest in early stage companies. So, yeah, like it's a form of it's a form of VC.
1: Okay, so when you say operator syndicate, how is that different from a VC?
0: Yeah, so like you know most VCs are are structured, right? Like let's say there's like one to three general partners and they make investment decisions and then there's a bunch of limited partners who just give them money and you know hopefully get more money back than they invested. Free Company is basically like a collective of operators who just pool capital and kind of like invest together. So there, there's like no outside money and there's no like GPLP distinction. Like everyone is kind of just like a decision maker and, and investing their own capital.
1: So I, I know like a topic that you're passionate about and something that I've thought a lot about is sort of the future of VCs. And I think with DAOs, you know, um becoming more and more mainstream in the in the long run, that I think I can definitely see DAOs replacing VCs. Like I I have a hard time seeing how the traditional VC model is sustainable in the long run. So I'd love to get your take on, you know, what what does the future of VCs look like?
0: Like going back to like how I described like I, you know I, I want to roll like this consultancy into a DAO. I think that's it's both simpler and more complicated than like turning an investment vehicle into a DAO. If you look at a lot of the innovation around DAOs and a lot of the activity that's been happening, it's generally around investing activity, and I think that's just because it's a very simple use case, right? The logic is quite simple. Me, you, and like Jane all invest like equal amounts of money. And like we put it into a smart contract and then, the, then invests in like uni, right. And we get back uni and like the smart contract splits it up three ways. And it, it's relatively simple. The consultancy I described, like that's much more complicated logic to actually code on chain. So it, it's simple in that regard, but it's much more complicated from the regulatory angle, right? Like there are kind of these legal wrappers around DAOs. Like the Lao has done some really interesting stuff. There's now, um, It's like law in Wyoming, where I think you can kind of do it. But from my point of view, like once you wrap one of these things in like a legal entity, it doesn't really become that much simpler. Like it actually adds a lot of complexity where like every on-chain transaction, right? Like you have to take off-chain and report as taxable income and and all of that. So I, I think they're like having contributed to DAOs and participated in them, fully convinced that like this is a pretty meaningful part of the future and i think a lot of like flow like just flows of funds in investing can and should be like automated by smart contracts and will where i think there's still a really big gap is you know you look at a fund like actually any crypto fund over 10 million dollars and like they have institutional lps in that and are any of those lps ready to just like dump 5 million USDC into a smart contract with like no legal agreement. No, I don't think they are. I think you're starting to see it like take off in sort of like more of these informal things. Like, hey, we want to buy an expensive NFT. Let's like roll a DAO to like pool our, our funds. And it makes sense to start there. But I think there's still a big just like gap between getting to like, all right, like it would actually make sense to run a $100 million fund Purely on chain.
1: For sure. Yeah, I 100% agree with all of that. And I think, like, a couple of other ways I think about it too is like one advantage of having all of these investments take place on chain instead of in the traditional setting. And, you know, this is the same parallel that we'll see in DeFi with, you know, getting rid of traditional banks and moving towards smart contracts to do things like getting home loans and things like that. But if you want to get an investment right now, you go to a VC, you present to, you know, the general partners, of the partners there, and then they tell you if they want to invest or not. And so I think a lot of that, with that, we see a lot of, you know, inherent human biases. And that's why statistically, when you see, when you look at, you know, the types of people that get funding from VCs, you see that it's it's a very... The demographic looks the same. It's not very diverse at all. And I think a lot of that can be eliminated by, you know, maybe moving this to a smart contract format where the presentations, you know, all all take place digitally. You don't even have to reveal what your real name is. Like, I don't you don't even have to present as like this is Regan Bozeman's project. It could just be your pseudonym or, you know, whoever you want to present as. You know, I I really am hopeful and excited about like how the changes that that could uh, affect. And then on the other side, too, is like I think from the perspective of the company, like if I'm starting a company, I'm trying to seek funding for my crypto project. Like, why would I go to a VC that has generalized expertise over all these different fields when I could just, you know, go on Twitter and target the people that specialize in like if, if I'm starting an NFT protocol, like people that are that really specialize in NFTs have a big NFT following on Twitter and ask those people for investment and have those people sort of, you know, form a collective sort of like free company or a DAO or something like that and invest in my company. So I just I think the incentive to go to a traditional VC for funding is um, is going to be smaller and smaller as we move forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're you're starting to see some of these anonymous teams. I think like Saffron is one that comes to mind, but I know there's been a few others that have raised like pretty sizable amounts of money and treasury diversifications. And, and you know, they're totally anonymous and that's really cool. Like, it could be a white guy in Colorado. It could be a woman in Spain. Like, you know, who, who knows, right? And I, I think that's awesome. You are starting to see DAOs play like a pretty meaningful role in the capital landscape. And I, I think that's awesome. I think like most of the investing DAOs I've seen are kind of structured as this purely like democratic collective, right? Where it's kind of like a voting process and, and you know, you get like 10 to 25 people on board. I think that does have its its drawbacks, right? Like it it's not, you don't have like one cheerleader you can go to and like just unleash whatever like. You know how hard you've been working for a month, and you know it's like a lot, a lot of I think that traditional founder investor relationship is is harder to do in that context. So I think there are drawbacks, but DAOs are already like a big part of the capital landscape. I would be surprised if they become smaller, and so I, I think definitely like they'll play a bigger and bigger role.
1: So I'm also curious with your investments in Free Company, are there any really cool projects that you can shout out or any projects that you know, you're know you really excited about and you think will change the future of our landscape?
0: Well, actually, the original investment we made in Yield Guild Games was maybe six months ago, but they just announced a follow-on round, which we participated in. You know, that and, and Axie Infinity are, are two like super ex- companies we're really excited about. So, you know, Axie Infinity is kind of obviously this like on-chain game and you're starting to see pretty like meaningful volume flow flow through it. And uh, like pretty real economic activity happening where people from like all over the world are competing and, you know, uh, playing the game and and earning um, income from it, which is, is awesome. And then Yield go games is basically kind of like forming guilds within Axie where, you know, for example, they're like training people to cast certain spells and, and basically just like teaching them sort of how to make a living from it. And, you know, they're, they have a bunch of stuff on their Twitter, but like the Philippines where they're based, like they have, there's actually like a reasonably sizable amount of, of people like earning income from that. And to me, especially like looking at like the last full run where there was just like so much smoke and mirrors and honestly, so few of these products like ever actually touched anyone. It's, it's awesome to see these like projects actually having like a pretty meaningful economic impact. And so those are two companies like we're, we're really excited about.
1: Yeah. I actually just heard about yield guild like a week ago and looked into it and, and it's super cool what they're doing.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. Like, I think, yeah, I'm, we're, we're really excited and Gabby and the team are just unbelievably passionate about what they're doing. And yeah, it's like, you, you can't have a conversation with them and like not root for these people to succeed.
1: Yeah, I love that. So looking ahead to, let's just say, the next year, what do you see as being some of the trends that are going to come out of crypto in the next year or some of the things that you're really excited about? And then I'd also be curious to hear, I know this question's really hard, but what do you envision the crypto space looking, looking like in 10 years?
0: I think one of the areas I'm most excited about and, and where we've tried to focus a lot of investments is mass market DeFi, and i need to come up with some catchier name because it's not not especially catchy but you know i think you look at a lot of what gets funded and like where the action is in DeFi, and it's i I think i used this phrase before but it's like the 10th derivation on like a decentralized options exchange and i just like don't find that market that interesting to be honest like there's a lot of protocols where you talk to the team you look at how these products are designed and it's obvious that like there is zero ambition to reach users that don't have Metamask installed today. And to me that's that is like that is literally a tiny market that's like five million people. So uh, projects that are trying to reach a broader audience, I'm very excited about. So examples of that, like you know Maple, which I mentioned earlier, is basically like building credit markets on Ethereum. I think that product looks a lot more like traditional fixed income products than you know, something than just something that just like depositing assets on Compound. And so I think they're you know kind of going after more of an institutional market. But it, like if they continue to execute, I think we'll have like really meaningful you know money coming into that ecosystem. Index is another ecosystem I'm really excited about. I think I mentioned earlier this is basically the Dow behind DPI, which is the largest on-chain um, DeFi index fund. They've also recently launched some of these leverage indices. They have MVI, which is like an NFT index, but I find um, on-chain indices like, a very pure sort of representation of DeFi, right? You're taking something like an ETF where there's a custodian, there's a lot of like underlying expenses, it's very regulated, and you're like replacing all of that with smart contracts. And I think for me, like, you know, something like 40% of all stocks are controlled by ETFs, like the market is just utterly massive. It seems pretty clear that like the way a lot of people are going to get exposure to crypto is through products like this just because it's so hard to keep up to date with the space. And so, you know, projects like Index that are really just trying to make these products that are usable to the average person, I think are awesome and really excited about 10 years from now. That's a good question. I think I don't have like that high conviction in being able to predict anything here, but I think for me like if this really becomes pretty broad like most of these things like people would just not know that like they're touching the blockchain like that purchase won't matter i don't think most people care about decentralization i don't think most people care about censorship resistance like people just don't care right they want products that make their lives easier and better and so i think they're like products that you know leverage blockchain to, to do that and kind of abstract that away from the user like that's really where the big opportunity is
1: Yeah, for sure. I can. I definitely agree with that. All right. So I've got a couple of questions from the community. This is questions from Twitter. The first one is from Big Sky, aka Simon from NX Co-op that you just shouted out. He says, what is the secret to crypto deal making?
0: I don't know if I know any, any secrets there. I mean, deal making is a broad phrase. I think like The the element of deal-making that I think is most unique to crypto is kind of these like integrations between protocols. And I think is where a lot of people get hung up where, you know, I've like talked to some companies that are kind of like used to like selling into like traditional software companies. And I kind of explained the process of like how you'd sell something to Compound, for example, right? And it's like, yeah, you need to like go on this like public forum. Everything is going to be transparent, including how much you're charging, Um, a bunch of like community members, people who go by like Mr. Pickle 420 are going to like comment and ask questions. And, you know, ultimately you need to get this passed through governance, right? So you need to like figure out who the biggest token holders are and like try to get them on board. And that's just like a bizarre, like if you're used to selling software in like a specific, you know, C-level executive at a company, like that's really different. And so there, I think it's really just taking the time to understand like, what the community wants, what the trends are, what's gotten them excited for, being patient and like actually taking the time to engage with the community, get on community calls and things like that. And to me, like, the projects that like put in the effort to do that are much more likely to get things passed through and, and to get deals done with other protocols.
1: Yeah, I think that's really good perspective. And then the other question we have from Twitter, this is from Clement, AKA Codemathics. He wants to know, how are you so good at what you do, yet you stay so calm about it?
0: <laughs> um, I don't know. We're we're fortunate to work in an industry that's pretty fun. Like, it's just weird, right? I, I think, yeah, crypto is is bizarre. Like, my girlfriend will hear me on calls with, like, people who are, like, go by pseudonyms. And, you know, she's like, you're talking to, like, some person named Lemonade. <laughs> like, like, you have a real job. So I, I think, like yeah anyone who's who is fortunate enough to like be able to make a living in the in- industry like this is really cool stuff and i don't know that kind of drives my attitude like we we're fortunate to be able to do this and you know we should just make the most of it
1: All right. So before we close out here, I've got a quick tweet for you that I'm going to give you a chance to explain. I do this at the end of every podcast episode. And so this one is from March 15th, 2021. You said privacy is one of the most under-indexed areas of crypto. The consequences of public transactions has barely started to be felt. Very excited about what Aztec Network is building. Um, I don't think that's something we talked about, like Aztec or privacy in general. So do you want to sort of explain what you were getting at with this tweet?
0: Yeah, so um, like Aztec is a company we're working with um, through Dove Mountain, they're basically building like privacy focused scaling infrastructure for Ethereum. So this technology called private roll ups, where, you know, kind of the same way, like a lot of other Ethereum solutions work, you take a bunch of transactions, you bundle them, and then you write them back to Ethereum mainnet. Most of those alternatives, like those underlying transactions actually aren't private. So they are written, you know, they are bundled together in a roll-up. And then that's written to Ethereum mainnet. But the same way that like if I know what your wallet address is, I can see all the trades you've made on Uniswap, you could also see that in in most scaling solutions today. And so Aztec leverages a bunch of cutting-edge cryptography that like to be honest is way over my head, but it basically obfuscates all of those transactions so they're totally private. I mean, I use Ethereum every day and If I told you like, yeah, like you can have this bank account, but every, you know, everything you put on your credit card and all of this stuff is like totally public for the world to see, like you would say that's terrible. I never, (laughs) I never want that product at all, but that's what Ethereum is today. And so I think here, like it, it is that way because there hasn't really been an alternative, but there will be soon. And, you know, Aztec's not the only team working on this, but I think you look at areas like payments, which seems pretty clear that like blockchains can offer like better alternatives to a lot of things that exist today and privacy is kind of like just like the biggest gap right like people especially companies don't want their transactions on chain and so you know i think like privacy has kind of historically been this like dark corner of crypto where you have stuff like tornado cash and mixers and like you know it gets associated with a bunch of hacks and like that, that's not wrong but I think being able to transact privately on public blockchains will unlock a ton of use cases like payments. And there's really just like not that many teams focusing on it today. So very excited about that space. And yeah, I think, you know, most people like if the IRS, for example, found out what your wallet was, right? Like they know exactly how much tax you owe them. Yeah. And they can come back to you in five years. Like there's a lot of just there's consequences to all the stuff being public, right? Like the second Vitalik sense is like Shiba coins, like everyone on earth knows. And um, I think it's like not as hard as people think to really like suss out, you know, whose Ethereum address belongs to who. So yeah, I I think like privacy is massively under-indexed and excited to see like more and more people build tooling there.
1: Awesome. Well, if you're listening and you're working on building out a privacy protocol, uh, hit up Regan, maybe he can help you. Before you go, Regan, I really appreciate you taking the time. Tell people where they can find you, if they want to connect with you personally, and also where they can go to get in touch with Dove Mountain Partners. Say somebody's listening and they're working on a project right now and they would really love your help. How can they get in touch with you and and with your team?
0: Yeah, my email is just Regan, R-E-G-A-N, at DoveMountain.co.co. People can just email me and, and we can go from there. Yeah, thank you for having me on. This was a lot of fun.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks again so much, Regan. Thank you listeners for tuning in. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. You can continue this conversation with us on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. We look forward to chatting with you, and thanks again for listening.